Okay, all right, thank you. I want to highlight that last section there. Uh, sin will have no dominion over you since you're no longer under the law, but under grace. And so at this time, we have been, as a, as a confessional church, we're working our way through our doctrinal standard, which is the Westminster Confession of Faith. We believe that uh, everyone has a confession of faith and that ours is written down for everyone to read. Uh, confession of faith is a statement of what we believe the Bible teaches. And everyone has an idea of what the Bible, the Bible teaches. Uh, but uh, some are less consistent than others. Some are better and more accurate than others. And we believe that ours is uh, essentially the best thing going as far as summaries of the Bible and what it teaches. And so we've been looking at the last 18 chapters in this series, and this is class 20. We're looking at the, you know, all of the uh, doctrines about the Scripture, who God is, and how God works in salvation. We call it the order of salvation and the covenant of grace. And now that we're going to look at a new section, and that's exciting because some of you are new, first-timers today, and this is called the law and liberty. So those who are in Christ have this relationship to the law and the liberty. And so as you saw that Paul in his statement in Romans 6:14 says, for you're no longer under the law but under, under the law but under grace. How does that, what does that mean to be no longer under the law but under grace? So we're going to read this section on law and liberty and hopefully we'll have some clarity in the next couple weeks as we look at it. So how do a, how does a Christian relate to the law? Okay. Number 1. I'm going, to, I'm going to read section 1, and if you'll follow with me, uh, it says, God gave to Adam a law as a covenant of works by which he bound him in all his posterity to personal, entire, exact, and personal obedience, promised life upon the fulfilling, and threatened death upon the breach of it, and endued him with power and ability to keep it. All right, that is the statement before us. And it is footnoted with, of course, Genesis 1 and 2 and several verses in Romans, Galatians, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Now, as you look at this, I want to ask you, uh, this, this covenant of works, some of you have maybe never heard of this. Uh, we believe that, uh, that the Scripture in all of human history is uh, a revelation of God and His glory, and that we see that it's divided into two epics, two, two, two time periods, one the covenant of grace and one the covenant of works, which is the prior covenant. So we see here that law was a thing before there was sin, okay? And that's, uh, that might be obvious to us, but uh, I don't know where the marker is. But the, the, the key thing is here we've got prior to sin, law, uh, then we've got after sin, uh, one, one key place you see the law is at the uh, Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, right? And then you see the law again. Uh, one place might be you might think of is in the New Testament. You have Jesus saying the summary of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All three of those are law. So we got law, pre-fall. Genesis 2, and then we've got Law, Sinai, Ten Commandments, 
and that would be Exodus 20. And then you've got law, uh, I would say New Testament here, OT, New Testament. Then we've got the cross here. Okay, so this is new heaven, new earth. This is creation. And that's an infinity there. So creation. Okay, so does this make sense, you guys? Am I, am I, I'm kind of jotting this down really terribly on the board, but but this there, I, I believe history is a timeline. I believe the scripture teaches this, and that in it, God is uh, revealing his person, his glory, who he is, revealing who he is, in, create, in the created order, what he's made. And so you see before the fall, there is a law. And this law is, as it says here, in the covenant of works, God gave Adam this law. He's bound to it, to keep it perfectly, perpetually, personally, uh, in all of his days. Exactly. And there's a promise there. Upon fulfilling it, there will be life. If you do not fulfill it, there will be death. There's a promise and a threat. That's prior to the fall. Then you've got post-fall. Obviously, this is where we think of the law. We think of uh, so guy Charlton Heston. Uh, it's in Commandments. There's a movie about this, right? There, where the people get out of Egypt and go on to, uh, to the promised land, led by Moses, the bearded one there. Uh, Exodus 20 would be one place that would be seen. Also in Deuteronomy 5. That's classical to think of as the law. And then You've got the New Testament, which, like, so say you've got Matthew 22. What's the summary of the law? We've got Romans 6.14 over here, which is read. So Matt 22. All those, so all those places, the law is there. But the key thing you've got to know is that the law was there in the very outset. And the, the, very, the very essence of the creator is that there's a creator, so there was a beginning, and there is an end. Uh, there's an end, because if there's a creator, there's going to be an end. He has not purpose for what he's made. So the end is in view in God's mind or his decrees or his counsel from the very outset. Does that make sense to you guys? If there is a creator, they're not, they're not just the beginning, but there has to be an end. Uh, because he's making it, you know, you make, so you create art, you create, you know, uh, a structure. It has a purpose, and the purpose is to be reached in the end. And so the way... That purpose to be reached is the law. That's the design of what it's for, what it's gonna, it's gonna reach that fulfillment. So say Adam keeps the law perfectly, exactly, perpetually, what would happen is they would move, he and all of those that followed after him, his posterity, would move into what? Here. <laughs> Glory at New Heavens and Earth. They would they would skip all of this and go on into that. That's the because that's the law. That's the law's design is to move us that way. He entered into a covenant of works, a covenant according to doing or not doing, and there's a threat of death or life. Well, we know that that did not happen, um, and so now we're moving. Uh, we've got this law here, which is a representation of that. Now, the law in the uh, pre-fall was just, uh, hey, uh, there's a tree, <coughs> and uh, that tree, this knowledge of the good and evil tree. Don't eat of that tree because the day of you eat it, you'll sure surely die. Now, all the other trees you got freedom to enjoy, but that one, I'm making a statement hey, you cannot have that one. It's a test. And so, okay, so with that, uh, that's, that's the essence of what was verbally said. But is there more? I mean, say, uh, 
say Adam uh, started uh, coveting other things or, or Adam started lying, I mean, that would have obviously cast us into, uh, into death as well. I mean, so the whole law was operative there. This is who God is, not just what he verbally said, and that's also there too because in Genesis 1.27, it says that God made us in his image uh, or made, made us in his image so that uh, we would know him uh, and reflect him. And so in Romans 2, says that the law is written on our hearts. And so there's a way in which you think, you think about, like, okay, so there's a lot of things that Adam knew intuitively because in the image of God, he didn't need to have it verbally said. What he did need to have verbally said was this thing about the tree because that was not intuitive. That was a test. And it had to be said because yeah, all the other trees are fine. So God's going to give him a test here. To, to see if he will obey or, or disobey. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's a, 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 all the law was in play prior to the fall, and then we see it revealed here clearly with the Ten Commandments and the other laws. And then summarized in Matthew 22. It's the same abiding law throughout the end, and it goes on forevermore. Okay, that's the law. Okay, the law. The law, abiding, perpetual, there's a threat of death or life connected to it because there's an end because there's a creator. There's a beginning and there's an end. And the creator's moving creation to this way. All right. Okay, so second point, second, time, second uh, Roman numeral. It says, this law after his fall continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness. We've talked about that. And as such was delivered by God upon Mount Sinai in 10 commandments and written in two tables. First four commandments containing our duty toward God and the other six, our duty to man. That's a good summary. Fair enough? All right. So, uh, any, uh, any questions thus far? Pretty non-controversial? Non-controversial, anybody? Any controversies? Anyone want to quibble with that summary? It's a very, very straightforward summary. I mean, there's ten commandments, four of them about our duty toward God, and six of them about our duty toward our neighbor. All right. Uh, now, um, let's see, um, let's look at the third point here. Besides this law, commonly called moral, you know, you get a lot of people uh, who want to say, well, you guys, uh, you Christians, you want to like blast people for certain behaviors, but you guys don't keep all those dietary laws. Uh, you guys don't just, you have uh, clothing with more than one kind of fabric in it, you know, there's these, kind of, these, these, these laws and and hey, you, you, there's all these laws that you don't follow about sacrifices on those things. So what's up with that? So look at the third section. It says, besides this law, commonly called moral, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel, as a church underage, ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship, prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits, and partly holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties all which ceremonial laws are now abrogated under the New Testament. Okay. All right, so you see here, uh, you know, we're going to out here and, and look at the law. The law has different kinds or types. One is the moral. Two is ceremonial. And we will anticipate in the next section we'll read about the judicial. All right. Three kinds. All right, so think about that. Now, we've talked about how there is uh, you know, uh, this ongoing abiding principle of perfect, perpetual, exact obedience. Right now, uh, here's the problem here, uh, is that Adam 
the first man had the, all of the ability in the world to keep this. He had every, every ability to do it. But what do we know about us, all people, after the fall in Genesis 3? None of us can keep it, okay? And think about, like, uh, I was looking at cars, you know, and, like, buying cars, purchasing cars. And, you know, when you buy, when you take that new car off the lot, um, what happens the moment you, you uh, drive off the lot? The value disintegrates. <laughs> it's like absolutely, uh, unless it's some kind of strange oddball scenario. Uh, but yeah, you, that, that car that you just paid all that money for is extremely less valuable once it's off the lot. It's used now. So you think about that. Now, uh, you know, the law still, still abides the same, but our ability, uh, as far as that goes, our, uh, to, to earn our way to heaven or earn our way into God's good graces is to extremely diminished. We have no ability to do so. Uh, so the law abides, but we uh, are not abiding in, in, uh, in the ability to keep it. So what does the ceremonial law do for us? It typifies, it, it helps us to see things that God is going to provide Christ. He's going to provide the substitute to actually make it righteous that God would abide with us and keep us and provide for us and protect us as his people justly. Uh, in, the, in the worship service today, we will confess our sins and then we'll hear an assurance of pardon. And in 1 John 1.8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we what? Deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Why? Because of the reality that was typified in the ceremonial law that there would be a priest who would offer a substitute in the place of the people, confessing the sins of the people, spilling blood, offering incense, and and bringing the people with him into the holy place, into communion with God by his work. And that's typified by Aaron and all the priests who would come after him it would be shadows of the reality, which is the true priest Christ. And the true, uh, every, every lamb or goat that was slain and every scapegoat that was offered into the wilderness, all those were shadows and types of the true sacrifice, the lamb of God, Christ. You see, uh, so there's the moral law and there's the ceremonial law in the Old Testament, uh, which is containing several typical, typical, meaning type, ordinances, partly of worship, prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits, and partly holding forth diverse instructions on moral duties, all which ceremonial laws are now abrogated under the New Testament. So you see that last statement there, these ceremonial laws are abrogated under the New Testament. Why would you, is God changing, what's God doing here? Why is he changing things? Why is he abrogating things? Uh, does that make sense to you guys? What does abrogate mean? Abrogate means to, I would say, nullify, right? Nullify the law. So he, he, it's like, and Jesus himself, I mean, when interviewed about this, when he, well, I mean, if, you, if you're going sit, to sit him down and say, hey, what's the deal with this? Uh, did you come to abolish the law? Well, in his own words, in Matthew 5, 17, he says, I did not come to abolish or abrogate the law. I came to fulfill the law. So it's abrogated as far as we go, right? Uh, but it's fulfilled in Christ. It's fulfilling him. He did it. He, he, he actually was the reality that was typified. So as far as it goes for us, we don't, we're not, we're not uh, obligated to continue all that is in 
Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that are typical, but we are uh, obligated to believe in the Christ and rest in him as the reality that was typified in it. So it's not abrogated in the sense of being worthless, you know, but it is certainly uh, valuable to study, but but we don't, we don't, we don't hold, we don't, we don't go back to the signs when we have the reality before us. Does that make sense? So it's not, it's not, it's not worthless, but it's, uh, why would we do that? You know, it's like many people want to talk about these, uh, I don't, I'm not an expert on this at all, but, uh, these eschatology or end times books about like, or, how, or, or ideas about what's going to be like in the end. And people want to talk about maybe there's going to be a new temple, you know, where there'd be like uh, Israel reinstituted and, and they're going to, do all the Israel things, and, and that would be just completely going backwards. I mean, we're moving ahead. Christ has already come. Why would we reinstitute the temple and start offering up blood sacrifices again? That makes no sense. You know, so there is no no ongoing uh, abiding need for those shadows anymore because the reality has come in Christ at the cross, and uh, and, and you know, he's, he's filled that. So, so you see what I'm saying there? Okay, there's uh, there's two. The second type of the law is ceremonial scripture is pretty clear on that we can go into it uh, if you have questions on it any, any thoughts questions anyone say it's new for anybody today everyone's really comfortable with this okay all right everybody's comfortable okay second or third thing um, is the uh, section four it says to this uh, body politic he gave sundry judicial laws uh, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any other now further than the general equity thereof may require. Okay, so what would be some examples of that? Let's go to Exodus 21. If you've got your Bibles, your devices, just, you know, what's in Exodus 20? We, we wrote it on the board that Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. And you've got this case law, you know, that follows along behind it. The Ten Commandments are pretty broad, right? I mean, like... Is this what you're saying, why, why we uh, wear clothes of different cloths? Yeah, yeah. This is, a, this is what I'm getting into that now. I mean, because... Okay. So, I uh, know, so... so uh, well, actually, I would say that's more... That's ceremonial. Uh, and so... so so the, so the, eat clothes of different... <coughs> yeah. No, I did. I mean, no, no, no. Why... Okay, let's go back. That's great. Okay, let's clarify this. Why would God require that his people only eat certain kinds of animals and not others and then he changes in acts 10 and says hey pork is okay and so like yeah yeah it's interesting right why would god say hey you cannot eat pork in the old testament and in the new testament he says uh you can and then why would having these uh unique clothes be uh of of any interest to god that his people would wear these things what well, you see in the in the uh, summary of chapter or, or section three it says uh, it says uh, these are prefiguring Christ, his graces, his actions, sufferings, and benefits. That's one thing these ceremonial laws do. But it also, uh, as you see the and there, uh, it holds forth, it holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties. So the idea there is that holy, the Holy Lord has uh, called us his people, and we are holy, and so we're not to be like the nations. We're to be set apart and holy to him. So when we, uh, in the Old Covenant times, dress differently, uh, have different signs, different, uh, different food, different dietary laws, different festivals, we have all of these uh, unique markers that set us uh, apart 
and teach us that we have different moral duties. We don't, we don't treat everything else like the nations does. We, we are um, uniquely holy to the Lord, and so there is a moral obligation that is required of us. So that makes sense. So, so the, the, the putting your, uh, only having certain types of clothes, uh, only eating certain types of food, uh, is teaching we are to be holy. Now, because we are holy in Christ, and the reality has come, we can wear all different kind of clothes. You know, there's a liberty to that. And there's, uh, we can eat what we want to eat, you know, as a liberty to that. Uh, wisdom uh, would, would dictate that. Because those, um, you know, so those signs, uh, being we are like a, a particular people in a particular place. Uh, well, we're not a particular people in a particular place anymore. We don't live in Israel, and we don't, uh, we don't worship at the temple. We don't have these, uh, you know, these, these restrictions on us anymore because we are, uh, all the families of the earth have been blessed in Christ, uh, and, and the, the, the Jerusalem has expanded to encompass all tribes, tongues, and nations versus being a centralized, let's prefigure Christ. The reality has come. Christ is Israel. Christ is the temple. Christ is the sacrifice, and Christ is our holiness. Yeah. Make sense? I think it makes me think of, uh, like, as far as the clothing. Yeah. In the New Testament, Thinking of Galatians, it says, you've been baptized into Christ and put on Christ. Yeah. And then in Colossians, right. it says, put on the new self. So yes. Like, Take off the old. So, yeah. like, our identity or, like, what we're wearing is Christ, yeah. not not this other mm-hmm. weird, weird clothing. This yeah. thing that says yeah. it's apart, but Christ is what we right. put on. Yeah. That's the distinctiveness about you. Yeah. So, yeah. Your, your the fruit of your spirit would be. Your distinctiveness, uh, the right. holiness that you exhibit, in actuality, uh, is what sets you apart, not how you look. You know, uh, we all look different, you know, and that's that's great. Uh, so, but you know, I, I think that's a huge, huge point. Uh, a lot of people want to like write about these things in, in commentaries and, and, and discuss the merits of why God would would uh, you know not have us eat pigs or, or shellfish or something like that, and like, well, there must be some kind of inherent health benefit or something like that. But that's missing the point entirely. It's missing. There's no like. There's no like. Uh, you know, that's not the point. The point is you're to be different, and it's moral. Teach you about there's moral duties required, and if there's some there was some kind of moral. I mean, uh, uh, you know, physical benefit we would have from those things. Why would those? Why that change? You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Question. Thoughts. Uh, from what I understand about the clothing thing, not mixing the fibers. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand it has something to do with uh, God not liking a mixture, so he didn't want his people to mix different cloths, because that's kind of like what you were alluding to. Yeah. Um, he doesn't want his religion mixed with another religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's, and, and if you see right. when the Israelites and also when we, uh, we have a tendency to, Christians as a whole, and Jews as a whole back then had a tendency to like bring another religion into their faith. Yeah. And, well, God doesn't like mixture. So if you look at the Catholic Church, it's a, it's a cross between what? Paganism and Christianity. Yeah. So God well, has Plato, to protect yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Very influential Yeah, stuff there in the Greek and Roman world. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, like, so if you've ever uh, looked at John Calvin's commentaries on this, uh, on, on Exodus through Deuteronomy, it's the most un, unlike fallible thing ever. Because like, what he's doing is he's taking each commandment and he's you know, taking, for instance, the, uh, the, the clothing <coughs> law, which is re- you referenced, and placing it underneath one of the headings of the Ten Commandments. And so he's taking every other law that we have, there's 600 or so of them, right? 
and he puts them underneath one of the Big Ten, you know, and so, uh, and so you have to have a, a good index to really figure out where you're at in the Calvin commentary because he's completely reorganized the order uh, to, to, to make that principle home is that there's 10, 10 words or 10, 10 laws are very general and they're specifically applied in different ways uh, uh, in that. So there's, there's a particular, like, so do not kill. I mean, so that means you got to, uh, the, so for instance, so, so now, we're, so, so moving into the judicial part, like, so, yeah. oh, please. Yeah. Question. Call uh, so I'd like to add on to the question about the mixed fabrics. Yeah. So with any religious tradition, there's always two sides of the practice. There's the esoteric and the esoteric. Mm -hmm. The esoteric is the internal spiritual practice and the esoteric is the physical practice that we do. Yeah. The thing is, is that when you like some of these practices in our tradition, like the benefit and the importance of it isn't always immediately clear until yeah. you have applied it for a certain mm -hmm. amount of time. Like for instance, in the tradition that I follow, it says that I'm supposed to maintain my beard in a certain way and I'm supposed to trim my mustache short in a certain way. When I first started practicing this, I would think, why does God care about how, like, how I keep my mustache? But the thing is, I didn't let that question <clears throat> stop me from doing it at first. Uh. I trimmed it, I followed the rules, and within a few days and a few weeks, I realized, wait a second, whenever I eat something, whenever I drink something, I don't get a whole bunch of nasty stuff in my mustache now. And so it's like, they don't tell you the reasoning why it's beneficial, but if you practice some of these things over time, you can start to see the benefit. And with the thing with the mixed fabrics, like, uh -huh. when, like, the people of the past were not to the standard that we are now. Like, we are, like, not even fit to, like, carry their sandals or even kiss the ground with their feet stepped on. But these guys, when you're sitting there and you're focusing in your, your dedication to connecting with God, then any slight distraction can start to pull you out of it. Like, I think there's a story in the Old Testament where it was, um, I think, Ezekiel, when he was pulled on top of the mountain to go and speak with God. And it says there was crap, like the earth was quaking, there was thunder striking, there was winds blowing. Uh -huh. But when the silence came, it was then in that silence that God spoke to him. And so with the mixed fabrics, like, because we've all worn mixed fabrics almost entirely throughout our lives. We don't notice that slight discomfort that you have between maybe wearing something more finer and something more rough. But the thing is, is when you apply that practice uh -huh. over a few months or a few years, you might start noticing the benefit that it comes with okay. you in your focus and your attention. Sure. But the thing is, is like a lot of these rules that we've been assigned to from the old, like from the Old Testament and the Torah and the Tanakh, a lot of us, we've abandoned those because we, we become prideful and we think, why do we need to do this? But we're not, like, who are we to question God's covenant? Yeah, like, yeah. when God says, you aren't supposed to eat pork, and we say, why does God care what we eat pork? We have to trust that God has more wisdom than us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Except whatever covenant he gives us. Right. But yeah, obviously, yeah. like, with the Christians and the abrogations, like, you guys... Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. So, so I would say, like, you know, Acts ten would be a clear, you know, uh, you know, modification to say, hey, uh, all these things are fine to eat. You know, all all kinds of animals. So, so yeah, I think the uh, there, there's certainly um, the discipline. You know, the discipline of listening to God, uh, not having to have all the answers before you do what He asks you to do. Certainly, a very good point. You know, that we must, uh, you know, uh, consider. Uh, our tradition is we uh, show up for church and we hear sermons and we do the Lord's Supper and we baptize and these are these are the simple means that He gives us to to uh, see our growth and we might want to see more of a uh, 
you know, maybe a more um, provocative uh, sign or, or, or program than that. But those are those are that he gave us. You know, those are the, you know, not not that uh, elaborate. You know, there's no those pageantry involved with it. Uh, these are the things that he says, and you, you commit to those things over time, and those simple disciplines lead to great blessings. Yeah. Uh, but so, so just the, the, just the, the point here, uh, we're moving, so, so we got moral, ceremonial, looking at the uh, things necessarily related to sacrificial system, priesthood, tabernacle, and on and on. Now, judicial, that's a different ballgame. That's saying, so like looking at uh, Exodus 21, for instance, would be, you know, uh, laws about uh, like keeping life, protecting life, right? So as you look at Exodus 21, you would see... Uh, uh, well, laws about slaves, right? He starts out with slaves, right? Very fascinating that, that the uh, uh, the freed slaves, uh, there'd be uh, laws about caring for their slaves, their servants, right? Uh, and so uh, there's justice and uh, mercy demanded of uh, the people of God in this situation uh, with any kind of slave. Uh, and so you would uh, see... Uh, case laws about uh, this restitution. Uh, these are social justice issues. Uh, and so we want to think about uh, the, uh, the, the, those particular uh, applications are not binding on us, we believe, uh, according to the, what's we're going to read here. Uh, but the general equity is, uh, the principle is still binding because they're applications of protecting law, uh, protecting life, protecting truth, uh, protecting faithfulness, and uh, the Lord's day, and honoring God-given authorities uh, in these these situations. So as you look at uh, the fourth uh, section of your uh, handout, it says then, to the body politic, meaning the, the nation uh, organized underneath uh, uh, the Lord as a theocracy, he gave these sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of the people, not obliging any other now, further than the general equity thereof may require. Now, um, let's say, um, let's look at First um, Peter two thirteen and fourteen, if you will, to illuminate the point that is being made here. Anyone got it? I'm gonna read it right now. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of him. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting because, like, so, so we're not a, I mean, we're, we're a, uh, a sojourner and alien people now. We live under, you know, Caesar in the, in the case of. Uh, the Roman citizens. Uh, we live under all the various, uh, various different governors and, and laws. And so he's saying here, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, uh, speed limits, uh, tax law. I mean, you know, whether it be to the emperor or the supreme uh, or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So um, it, this would imply what, what's been stated is that uh, we're no longer underneath uh, the, uh, what they call the judicial laws or the civil law uh, of the uh, Pentateuch, but we are uh, to keep the general equity of those principles, which would be, uh, you know, uh, the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother so to go well with your land. Well, 
we are to obey all God-given authorities and honor them and respect them, um, which would include our governments, uh, and, and to take every just law and, uh, and to follow it. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, that's what he's saying here, because there's, there's a real big uh, discontinuity here, right? The people have been typifying Christ, uh, Israel. Uh, out of Egypt, I've called my son, uh, Israel. Uh, Jesus, uh, ultimately, is Israel. And so Jesus is going to come out of Egypt, right? Uh, which Israel has become like Egypt and is uh, seeking to kill him uh, at, at this point. And so he is the true son uh, who is going to be uh, uh, all of our salvation. We're all going to be found in him. So therefore, uh, we are not going to be organized as a body politic, but as many nations, all tribes, all tongues. And uh, as Revelation uh, speaks to the fact that uh, if you could count all the multitudes of God's people, you wouldn't be able to number them. Uh, they're so numerous and so substantial that you couldn't number the people that God has and who will save. Uh, but they're definite. And they will be from all tribes, tongues, and nations. And they will all uh, be one people. Uh, but that's the, those distinctions of uh, the diversity and the different places that they are from will not be abrogated as we will be continuing, as Peter calls us. And 2.11, go back to 11, you are sojourners and exiles in this world, so abstain from the passions of the flesh. So, so the principle there, like, be holy, be different. You're not the same as what you were. You're different. You're, you're a new creation in Christ. Uh, you are to put off the old, put on the new, uh, you're going to keep your contact, conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when you speak, uh, uh, they may be uh, glorified. Your, your deeds may glorify the Lord on the day of visitation. So, so that's, the, uh, that's the situation there. So we're going to be uh, dealing with, in this covenant of grace, continuity, of course, but some discontinuity. And one of the discontinuities is you're no longer under law but under grace. And so how does the law function? Well, we're trying to hash that out, and this is what the confession is talking about this week and next. So we'll finish today with right there at the end of four. We'll move uh, through five down to seven next week and finish the discussion. You've got some question and answers here. Uh, take those home. Work your way through the scriptures and say, hey, is, this, is the confession right or wrong on this? Let's talk about it next time. All right, this, I'm just presenting it to you. Uh, I hope it's right. Uh, I think it's right, but you be the judge. All right, with that said, Let's, uh, let's take a moment to pray uh, before we go to worship. Let's pray. <coughs> our God, our help in ages past, we ask that you do so today. You lead us, guide us, direct us, provide for us. As you led your people through the wilderness uh, and into the promised land, would you lead us safe uh, on, uh, to Canaan's side? We ask that you would guide us, direct us, uh, provide uh, your spirit today to help us to walk by faith. Uh, to believe in you, even when we can't understand uh, the, the, uh, the laws uh, the, or the places you take us. We don't understand why, uh, but we ask that you would give us uh, faith to, to follow your precepts to the letter and to uh, obey uh, willingly, gladly, and gratefully because you are uh, good to us and gracious to us, and we, we seek to honor you and obey you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thanks, guys. Hope you uh, enjoyed.